take your Bible, if you would, please, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And as you're opening your Bibles, let me ask you a question today. If you were to take out a pencil and a piece of paper, and you were going to write a list, let's say, of eight things that make you feel blessed. If you were going to make your eight things, list of eight things that make you feel blessed, what would you put on that list? What makes you feel blessed? Win the lottery. Or at least get a wheelbarrow full of money, right? Get that big promotion at work. How about finding a wife who loves you and respects you? What about finding a husband who is committed to you and who appreciates you and loves to serve you? What's on your list? The Phillies winning another World Series. What's on your list? Things that are blessings. All these are good things, but what would make your list? Would your list include meekness? Would your list include a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? Would your list include a willingness to be persecuted for Jesus' sake? Would you put at the top of your list poverty of spirit? You know, I believe Jesus wants us to have these things on our list. These are the things on our list because, as you know, we are studying together the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount begins with what are called the Beatitudes. And these are the things, according to Jesus, that God congratulates, that God blesses. These are the things, according to Jesus, that really cause our souls to prosper. And so you see, written on the back of your sermon outline, uh, this, these beatitudes, and a beatitude is a fancy old-fashioned word for a declaration of blessedness. It's just a declaration of blessedness. And there's eight of them at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we saw last week, the people were amazed at the teaching of Jesus because he speaks with authority. Jesus turns things upside down and moves things inside out. And what's happening, you remember, is the crowds have flocked to Jesus. Why? Well, because of the miracles. They like the miracles. But now... Jesus is making disciples. And it gets intense. These beatitudes are for all of us. Don't think that there are certain beatitudes that apply to certain groups of Christians. You know, you folks over there are meek. You in the back, you get to be persecuted uh, for 
uh, righteous, uh, for Jesus' sake, and you, you over here, you're down front, you're supposed to hunger and thirst uh, for righteousness. Um, no, it's not like that. All of them are for every one of us. We need, therefore, to study them and to ask the Lord to weave them into our souls. Why? Because we want to be his disciples, don't we? We want to be learning from the Master, and we want that position of authority that he has over our lives to be realized. And so, Lord, make your declaration of blessedness on us as you work these things into our lives. Now as we start, take a quick moment and ask yourself, what does blessed mean anyway? Some people have translated this word happy, and they've said happy is the man, happy is the woman, happy is the child who has these things. And well, I guess the, the Greek word occasionally refers to a state of emotional happiness, uh, Robert Schuller, about 20 or 30 years ago, wrote a book on the Beatitudes, and it was called The, the Be Happy Attitudes. But frankly, I, I didn't like it that much, and I don't think happy, the word happy, is a very good translation, especially of the second Beatitude that we'll look at next week. Blessed are those who mourn, or happy are those who are sad. I don't think that really works. There's something deeper going on. What does it mean? One of the great Greek scholars at Moody Bible Institute was uh, a man named uh, Kenneth West. And he, I like the way he translates this uh, beatitude. He says, he translates it like this, And having opened his mouth, Jesus went to teach them, saying, Spiritually prosperous are the destitute and helpless in the realm of the Spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Kenneth West argues is that that word for blessed is speaking of spiritual blessing. And so he's speaking and saying, spiritually prosperous are my people who have these things in their soul. And I think he's right. Because spiritual blessings are the greatest blessings of all. They really are. Paul says, Jesus Christ has blessed you in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And more than wheelbarrows full of money are the blessings that Jesus gives to his disciples. So, over the next eight weeks, I want to say, blessed are you, North Shore Community Church. And I want you to say, blessed am I, prospering, spiritually prospering am I. Blessed are we these next weeks as we take our Lord's words seriously. Blessing is tied to the heart, to the spirit. And who are these who will prosper spiritually? Well, they are the poor in spirit. That's point number two. When Jesus talks about being poor in spirit, I think it relates to two different reference points, two different directions. You are poor in spirit as you relate to things outside of you and as you relate to things inside of you. There are things on the outside that make us feel poor, weak, sad, humbled, discouraged, even depressed. Now please understand here, neither Jesus Christ nor John Yenchko 
wants you to be clinically depressed. Jesus is not advocating depression. What is depression in in a clinical sense? Uh, Depression is, is emotional pain out of context. And many of us struggle with emotional pain that runs deep and it's and and yet there's something off in that we know we are clinically affected by it and and a psychiatrist would just say it, that it's it's emotional pain out of without a context but listen Jesus knows there's plenty of context out in the world for sadness for discouragement for sorrow i pick up the newspaper each day and I see the front page corruption I see the third page a suicide murderer blows himself and innocent people up on the, in Baghdad I see tragedies listed in front of me and it breaks my heart and I feel helpless How can I help those people in Baghdad whose children were just murdered? Or I look inside and I reflect back on some of my own quiet times when I've come face to face with my own sins and inadequacies or I face my own anxieties and failures and I become like the Apostle Paul who says, in my flesh... In my old nature, in my sin nature, there dwells no good thing. And I feel it acutely. In our worship service this morning, we were reminding ourselves of these realities as well. Do you ever feel this way? I know I'm not the only one here who is distressed when I look on the outside, who is distressed when I examine the inside. But let me tell you something. If you do then Jesus says, you are blessed. You are prospering spiritually when this happens in your life. Okay, Jesus turns things upside down. He turns things inside out. Poor in spirit. Think about this. And just by very application, I want you to know, the true Christian is grieved when they see the effects of the curse of Genesis 3. That we are in a fallen and broken world and there are famines and there are wars and there is pestilence and there is injustice and there is corruption and it is upsetting. Christian, Jesus says, my people are sad, are humbled by these things and they care. They care about the sufferings of the world. We are in contrast with so many people who say, I don't care. Too bad for them. Doesn't affect me. Jesus says, my people are poor in spirit. They feel it. And there is that internal reference point when you feel the brokenness of your own soul. When you see it, you experience what Jack Miller, uh, my, my mentor, used to say, you experience the reality of being poor. He said, the poor in spirit really are like the poor. You know, I'm glad that our, our young people will, on Friday night, will be in solidarity with 
the poverty-stricken in Haiti. This is good for our teenagers to be connected, to, to feel a sense of hunger and sadness and brokenness and a desire to help in some small way. But this is, this is good for them because when you identify with the poor, what you learn is the poor can't fix themselves. The only thing that the, the truly destitute toot the only thing that the truly destitute know how to do is, Jack Miller says, is to beg. <laughs> to beg. And Jack says, if you're a Christian, you have to learn how to beg. I've invited you many times to our Wednesday night prayer meeting. But at our Wednesday night prayer meeting, you know what we do? We beg. We beg. That's not the only thing we do. I mean, we worship God. But as we worship God, He shows us our poverty of spirit. And we confess our sins and our need of Him. And we weep over our sins. And, and I beg for the church. Why? Because He shows me I can't build the church. Elias can't build the church. Christine can't build the church. We, only Jesus can do it. And we beg for you, for God's prospering of your soul and your life and, and for others. We beg Him. We plead. We call down. We say it's not by might and it's not by human power. Only by His Spirit. And if you want to learn how to pray that way, come join us. Because He meets the poor in spirit. In the weekly rhythms. For me, this is so important. And it, and it is for us as a church family. King David used to cry out, Hear me, O Lord, for I am poor and needy. What do you mean, David? You're not poor. you got lots of wealth. And you're the king. Yeah, but David knew. David knew he was poor and needy, spiritually. This is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you, when you are poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are the proud who have been humbled. You may have read in this morning's New York Times that Charles Colson passed away yesterday. Charles Colson has been the most amazing leader in the wider evangelical church of the past several decades. Phenomenal uh, Christian leader, started prison fellowship has, has preached on all the continents, has been used to bring reformation to Brazil and to Russia and uh, in many ways to the American prison system and to raise consciousness of people uh, in, in dozens of ways, yet always firmly fixed with a singular eye for the glory of Christ. But you know his story, don't you? He was at the right hand of the most powerful man in the world, Richard Nixon's hatchet man, they called him. The guy who would run over his own grandmother to get Nixon elected. A Marine officer. A powerful attorney. And then the proud is humbled. And Colson says, I met the holy God and I wept over my sins before him. And I knew Jesus 
my need for Jesus, and he became my everything. And Colson, I heard him many times over these past two decades, I've heard him speak his testimony of faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Jesus praised people who were humbled, the proud who were humbled. You, you know the story of the Pharisee and the publican, the tax collector in Luke 18, and the publican boasts, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those people over there. And then there's the guy who stands afar off. Who was he? He stood afar off. He was the, ta- the publican, the tax collector. And what did he say? Do you remember? What is his cry? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth. This man went home justified before God. You know, Good Friday, we sang a hymn by Augustus Toplady. You're not familiar with that name, perhaps? But he wrote the wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages. And the second verse of the hymn, Rock of Ages, is, is precious to the Christian who is poor in spirit. But if you are not poor in spirit, you can barely choke these words out of your mouth. Can you sing with Augustus Top Lady? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you. For dress, helpless, look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Charles Spurgeon writes about this beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, and he says this, haunting words. He says, you have to be careful to hear Jesus, who is critical in Luke 18, of those people who are confident in their own righteousness. And Spurgeon says this, listen carefully. He says, our imaginary goodness is more difficult to conquer than our actual sin." Wow. Our imaginary goodness is more difficult to conquer than our actual sin. What do you suppose he means by that? And, And even more, how do you conquer that? And the New Testament tells us. It tells us again and again. It says, go to Jesus and have the mind of Christ, the humble king who humbled himself. The one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Yes, the way to be poor in spirit is to have the mind of Christ. No, Jesus never confessed his own sin because he didn't have any sin. I know that. But yet Jesus is the way of humility. You humbled yourself under God's mighty hand, 1 Peter 5 says. And then he will lift you up. We need to be poor in spirit. Now, okay, somebody finally said, enough, enough. Where's the good news? You gave me the bad news, preacher. Wow, 
You're good at preaching the bad news. Where's the good news? You told us earlier that you had to hear the bad news before you can hear the good news. Where's the good news? Well, the first beatitude says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there is good news, always good news from Jesus. I told you last week, he doesn't give us the Sermon on the Mount just to make us feel bad, but to lay before us the higher way, the better way of living. And Jesus says the poor in spirit really are blessed. Really. Why? For theirs is, and for you, for you, he's saying, is a, is a gift. There is a gift. Whoever these poor in spirit are, they receive something. They get a grant given to them. What is it? What is this? You see, Christianity is a receiving religion. I hope you understand this. Christianity is a receiving religion, not an achieving religion. Not in the sense of somehow you, uh, by your merits climb the ladder to make God like you. Christianity is a receiving religion. Israel was in bondage in Egypt. Could Israel save itself from the cruel fist of Pharaoh? And God comes and lifts them out and delivers them and makes them his kingdom. David. David is this skinny little shepherd boy. David you know, Samuel's looking for the king. Go to Jesse's family. He sees the big, strong brothers, the tall brothers, the, the uh, successful brothers. Nope, 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 nope. It's scrawny little David, shepherd boy David. And he inherits the kingdom. Peter, we saw Peter, didn't we, on Easter Sunday? Broken, guilty, ashamed. And anyone in their flesh would say, that's it, we're done, I'm through with you. And Jesus restores him. He becomes the herald of the kingdom. And you, in your own life, you have received grace, haven't you? You've received grace again and again. What is this blessing? Blessed, blessed, in Psalm 32, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And what this blessing ultimately, this receiving ultimately is, is that God takes our sin and Christ receives it. Christ receives something. Our sin falls on him on the cross. And his righteousness, we receive, the Bible says, is imputed to us, is given by grace to us credited to our account. And this, brothers and sisters, this is the most difficult expression of being poor in spirit. But you cannot be a Christian without it. You cannot be a Christian without knowing your need for grace. Oswald Chambers, in the reflection that's in your bulletin, He said, Christianity is not about making a decision for Jesus. It's not. It is a sense of absolute futility. I can't do it. And then Jesus says, blessed are you. 
spiritually prosperous are you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that faith is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. Theirs is, yours is. We receive mercy from him. Oh, really? What do I receive? What do I really receive? The kingdom of heaven? What's in heaven? What's in heaven that's so special? God. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Listen to this verse. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And what does he do? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's what he does. That's his business. And it is God himself who dwells, who takes up residence with the lowly and the contrite. Yes, that is the kingdom of heaven. Paul gives the explanation, this kingdom of heaven. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it's printed on the back of your sermon outline as he describes it. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. And here it is what I was just talking about, the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of heaven is the very presence of the King, King Jesus, and His Father and the Holy Spirit, taking up residence with the lowly and the contrite. And we live, and suddenly, suddenly, instead of a puny, trembling faith, and oh, sometimes, do you ever feel like your faith is like a thimble? And then, in, instead of just a thimble, Somehow your faith grows and, 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 and though you were poor in spirit, suddenly you've learned how to live in daily conscious partnership with God. You've, you've made your soul aware that the King lives in you, that the King is for you. And you say, let's handle this day together, Lord. And let's spread your kingdom wherever we go. Your reign, your rule, wherever I go. Just let it overflow out of me. And instead of being anxious, instead of anxiety gripping you, you've humbled yourself. Yes, humble yourself. But then you cast all your anxieties upon him, Peter says, because he cares for you. And he does. He does. He really does. And you know it. And you live expectantly and you wait for heaven. You can't wait for the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, listen. You've heard me many times say the kingdom of God is already but not yet. Already but not yet. Heaven's intrusion came with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is already here. He said the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. But it is yet to come. We eagerly await, Paul says, a kingdom from heaven. And we're waiting still. And we, we can't wait. We are hungry for heaven. And we know that is our destiny. Do you know that heaven is your destiny? Believe. Believe it. 
What's on your list? What's on your list of the things that make you blessed? Will you move up to number one, poverty of spirit today? Will you do that? Ask him for that. God opposes the proud, but he does give grace to the humble. For you to do that, yes, it's the guarantee of grace in your life. Empty yourself. Empty yourself. I'm preaching this way and this way. Empty yourself of self-reliance. Empty yourself of self-reliance and self-righteousness. And rely on Jesus Christ. Rely on His righteousness. We're going to close with two songs before we go down to lunch. Two songs. The first song is, is Empty Me. It's going to be a prayer. A prayer that we would become poor in spirit and want only His spiritual prosperity in our souls. And then we will sing, Lord, that's enough. Lord, that's enough. So bow your heads with me. Join me in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we have our list of blessings in our mind's eye. And we just are adjusting our list at your command and at your instruction. And we are taking poverty of spirit to be poor in spirit. And we're moving it up to the top of the first declaration of blessing. We pray, Lord, that you will empty us of all other counterfeits. Empty me. Empty my friends of all other pretenders to give us blessing. You alone are the source of true blessing and what we want. More than any common grace gift, what we want is the spiritual blessing of heaven itself. You, yourself. That is what we want. O King, come and empty us and fill us now. In Jesus' name, amen.